Well, hello, everyone, and are you ready for Ephesians chapter 3? Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we know that this is a gift. This letter is a gift to us. And Lord, we know that Paul intended it for just the people of Ephesus, but Lord, we are grateful that he... Um, that your Holy Spirit has given this book to us. It's so it's so rich in instruction and, and reminding us of who we are in Christ Jesus. Father, we just give you this hour. Lord, we pray that we'll, we'll be very attuned to what you want to communicate to us. Lord, we pray that our spiritual eyes and ears and heart will be just so open to receive what you have in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. I, like I prayed, Ephesians is such a rich book. And Paul, whether he started maybe having a lonely day that day, or maybe he was just already pumped, and he just wanted to write to the people of Ephesus. And, and, but however, whatever his mood was, we know it didn't take long for him to just be overflowing with praise. And you, he uses words like, you know, don't ever, don't ever forget. Re always remember that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing and you have been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been chosen. And just so many words that if there, if there is ever a time that you have a tendency to feel discouraged, I, I guarantee you this book will remind you. So he starts in that first chapter, and then in the second chapter, it's kind of like he comes back and says, we always remember from where you came from. You know, never forget. I mean, you don't dwell there. You don't say, oh, such a worm as I. You don't, you don't stay in that depraved condition. But you know that that is what you once were. You were depraved. You, you had, there was really no reason for grace and mercy. And yet, because of his great love for you and I, he bought us back. But he says, always remember, you were dead in your transgressions. Now, this might sound a little gory, but it, it just has helped me to kind of picture that once we were dead in our trespasses and our transgressions, it kind of reminded me of when a person is dead and they're in a coffin and you shut the lid and, you know, it just... You know, when you're alive, it just it just seems so it just seems so hard. But when they're when they're dead, they don't even realize. They don't even know what's going on. You can almost say that they are comfortable in that condition. And and yet, if somebody came by and and pounded on the cover and and said you're really alive, and they became alive. Can you imagine how they would they would want to get out of there and they would never want to go back there again because it was just such a horrendous, it was such a horrible, horrible thing when they realized where they were. And I thought, isn't that so? Once you have come to know Christ, when you are dead in your transgressions, you're comfortable in them. I mean, you don't even know that that you are that you're lost. That 
that you're heading to eternal death. You don't even know that, but once somebody pounds on your heart's door and you hear the gospel, like Paul says, you hear the gospel and then you choose to believe it, then you've been instilled, you've been bought with a price, you've been given his Holy Spirit. That's a guarantee of your inheritance. It's like once you become alive in Christ, you don't want to go back to that condition again. You want to run in the opposite direction. And that's what Paul is reminding us. And, you know, this this is, you know, I don't mean to be silly and, and make light of it, but it, it just couldn't have come at a better time. My my mom was FaceTime. She doesn't know how to do it, but my sister-in-law came over and helped her FaceTime her granddaughter and great-grandson who live in California, who my mom hasn't even been able to see in a long, long time. And so my sister-in-law set everything up and they were FaceTiming and my mom was talking to her granddaughter, my niece, and, and to her great-grandson. And all of a sudden, my mom noticed in the corner of the FaceTime screen, she saw something that horrified her. And she said to my sister-in-law, who is that? Who is that in that corner? And my sister-in-law said, well, it's you. And she says, it is not, it is not, I don't look like that. And, and my sister-in-law said, yes, that is you. Well, the next day I was over by my mom and, and she got telling me about it and she was saying how terrible it was that she saw that, that picture. And she says, I couldn't even, I, I didn't even, I almost forgot about, about um, her granddaughter and her great-grandson. She says, all I could concentrate on was that terrible picture. And I said to her, I says, but mom, you know, you're 92 years old. Who do you see in the mirror when you, when you get ready every morning? Who do you see? And she said, well, certainly not that. And I thought, isn't that the truth? Sometimes we see in the mirror and, and we don't even realize our condition. We don't even realize our need for the Lord. We see somebody that's perfectly fine. We can handle life. And I think it's, Paul is trying to say, take a good look at yourself and never forget from what you were and what Christ has done for you. Well, then, you know, we moved on in that chapter and, and, um, I have to say in verse 26, I, I just, or, or in verse six, I mean, I had to go over this one more time because, it said, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know, and we talked about last week how, you know, we're not there yet. So what does Paul mean? And God raised you and I up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And then, you know, and I don't, I don't know if I explained it real well last week, so I want to make sure that you understand that even though we physically aren't there, he's repositioned us to know that, that when you are in Christ, you are wherever he is and he is where you are. It's just one of those miracles. And, you know, our eternal life. You know, this is another, I think, really good point not to forget that our eternal life does not begin the day we die and we go to heaven. Our eternal life starts on the day of our salvation. And so when, when, 
when Paul writes that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, our eternal life has started. Even though we're physically not there yet, our eternal life has begun. And in a sense, we are there already. Well, and then when, when he talked about the temple at the end of the chapter, in verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, the Old Testament, they were, they, you know, they had the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the dwelling of God. And then, and then, of course, Solomon built the temple, and, and then it was destroyed, and then they built another temple. And the temple is very important. It symbolized where you would go to meet God. But now, because of Jesus and his Holy Spirit, on the day of our salvation, we were given his Holy Spirit. And so now the dwelling of God is within us. So we are now the temple. We are the temple of God. You are, I am, because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And I just say a big amen to that. Because when he says, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Isn't that just so wonderful? And then as we move into today's lesson, for this reason, you know, after the first two chapters, after the first part of his letter, he's saying, and it's for this, for this, I'm willing to be a prisoner. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, it's because of chapters 1 and 2, because they are real, because it's not just a fantasy, because this is a promise that you can count on. I didn't want to keep this message quiet, and it got me into a lot of trouble, but I don't care because everybody has got to hear this story. And so he was willing to become a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles because you know, and, and he's going to kind of go through this whole chapter saying that's such a mystery because to the Jews, the whole Old Testament, Jesus was promised and God used and raised up the Israelite nation. And the whole Old Testament was about the rising up of that nation in which Jesus would come through. Well, so many times, and I'm sure you remember in Genesis where when Abraham wanted to get a wife for his son Isaac, he had, he sent his he sent his um kind of like his his right hand man, and he told him where to go and and get one of our kind. Um, the, in other words, he may not marry a Gentile. He's got to be within God's chosen. And, and all through the Old Testament, and when Samson too, he was not supposed to, to marry or be involved in any of the pagan nations. And just to remind you, and I guess I needed to be reminded of this this week, is if you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And, you know, I knew that. And yet, that's all-encompassing, and you and I would not have this. We would not be privileged to this gospel, this salvation, if it wasn't for Paul saying, 
I am willing to be a prisoner for Christ Jesus because I needed to bring this message to the Gentiles. That's us. And then, because you see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for everybody. And, and then we know through the book of Acts how Peter and the story of Cornelius and, and how, how then Paul was brought into the picture to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and in fact, he goes on telling about how it all kind of uh, kind of originated. He said, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. He is basically saying, you have heard my story over and over. You have heard my testimony you heard how on that road to Damascus, God ministered to me by, by, by having Jesus be that light that knocked me down to the ground. And so when I said, Lord, Lord, who, who are you? And, and, who, who's, and the Lord says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you then? And, and the Lord said, well, I'm Jesus. You know, can I reiterate that you can be so religious and yet miss this whole salvation? You miss Jesus. And that's what happened to Paul. But Paul reminds us that as he's reminding them that God had a plan and God was going to use him. In fact, I went back to his conversion story in, in Acts chapter 9 and and. When and Ananias said, "Oh no, no, I don't want to go to that man. He he is he's killing the Christians." And 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 the, Jesus said, "Yes, you are Ananias, because he is the one that well, he's the, he's the one that has been chosen to be the instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel." So. Paul didn't even know it, but he had already been chosen by Jesus because he had all of what Jesus had given him and pre-planned and all the gifts that, that he had, had thought he attained for, you know, being high up in, as a Pharisee. And yet God's plan was to get him all prepared so that he would be able to go to first Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost, which is all these Gentile areas. So Paul is basically saying, you know my story, you know I'm a Jew, you know I was that Jesus handpicked me. I first had to get to know him personally myself. I had to be humbled. And then he, he says in verse um, 4, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He keeps talking about this mystery. In fact, I was asked this week, what is the mystery? Well, Paul basically in the next verse says what the mystery is, but I'll try to explain when Paul says that the mystery, verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are 
heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery is simply that the gospel unites all people. We all come to the cross of Christ the same way. We all need salvation. And it was a mystery because back in the Old Testament when the prophets prophesied, when they talked about that there, there would be a, a unity between Jew and Gentile, that was so unfathomable. I mean, the Jews and the Gentiles, I mean, the Jews didn't even like the Samaritans because they were half Gentile and half Jew, let alone a full-fledged Gentile. And so the mystery was, oh, no, that's impossible. And if somebody would have told Paul, if, if Paul in his training days, when he, was, when he was learning to be a Pharisee and when he was working with Gamaliel and the, his teacher and when he had worked himself to such a high position and when he was standing in the synagogues with all of his intellect and authority, if somebody would have told him that he was going to be an apostle to the Gentiles preaching the name of Jesus. Now that's mystery. Because there's no way he would have believed it. How in the world can that kind of change happen? So Paul can explain that the mystery is, is that Jew and Gentile can come together at the cross and we're all unified together. And he can testify to that because he has watched it happen with his own eyes. And the mystery has been revealed to him. But you and I can almost say the same thing. If somebody were to tell you and I that someday we would be like Jesus, that there was a possibility that we could have the very fruit of his spirit, his character coming out of us, that our sins could be forgiven, I mean, that's a mystery. I mean, how, how can there's not a person on this earth that can do that? There is no one that can take away our sins. There's no one that can give promises of eternal life in heaven. Salvation is found in none other. It's only when you experience it when you experience the gospel of Christ in your life personally, not just hearing it sitting in church year after year, but when you have had a face-to-face -face almost confrontation with yourself and seeing that you are a sinner, but thanks be to God, he have, because of his great love, he made a way possible through the blood of his son that we could be bought back. So for, he, for you and for me, this mystery has been revealed to us. Because before, before our salvation, this, this whole change would have seemed impossible. It would have seemed like a mystery. It doesn't make any sense. But once your spiritual eyes and ears and heart have been opened, how much clearer you and I can see and so it isn't a mystery. The mystery is fulfilled in the name of Jesus. See, it is not complicated. 
it gets complicated when you try to find salvation uh, other than through the blood of Christ, through confession and repentance, and that, that humbling yourself. Like I always say, and I don't even mind saying it over and over again, the day of our salvation is the worst day of our life. It's the worst day because that's when you and I are confronted. We are confronted with our true self. And it's like we go to the cross with our tail between our legs and we are just, we are, we're just aghast at his great love and his welcoming us. But I never, I never leave it there. I never say that our salvation day is the worst day of our life and just leave it there because once you have been forgiven and you've accepted what he's offering, his grace and his mercy, that day becomes the greatest day of your life. It's something how you can go from one extreme to the other in just a matter of seconds. You realize you're a sinner. That's terrible. You are lost. It's a hopeless situation until you get to the cross and you hear his words. Then it becomes the greatest day because now you are filled with his spirit and you're going to be listening to a whole new voice. You're going to have a whole new purpose. You're going to have a whole new reason for living. Paul said, see, this is the answer to the mystery. Jesus solves the mystery. He changes everything. He changes us from being lost to found. He changes us from a hopelessness to hope. And to think that we could stand at the cross with, with everyone, every one from any nation, any race, any social status. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, the ground is level at Calvary. And I know that it can be such a phrase, but until you gravitate to that, until you grab a hold of it and realize that that levels the plane for everyone. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel. What a change. See, look what a change in Paul. From being that high official to being that religious, being that religious higher, being in that religious hierarchy. He himself said, I count all of that. What I used to think I needed to make me somebody, I count that all for nothing. And he's willing to change his position to the word servant. I became a servant of this gospel because it was a gift. I couldn't earn it even though I had worked hard in school and I had done a lot of good works and I preached a lot of good sermons. I was heading to eternal death like anybody else who doesn't realize their need for a Savior, no matter who they are or what they've done. 
because God doesn't pick favorites. It is a gift. There's nothing we could have done to either earn it or to buy it. He is giving it to us as a gift. God's grace is a gift. Paul said, it was given to me through the working of his power. The power of the cross, the power then of his Holy Spirit. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, I know we've heard that before, and I, I don't know if we're at all convinced because I think by now we have developed such a love for Paul and to watch his self-denial and his willing to go through so much for the cause of Christ. And to hear him say the words, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. He said, I've been given this gift so that I can now administer to you the good news. I can tell you, you can have the same experience I did the unsearchable riches of Christ. The mystery can become clear to you too. You can watch your own self change. Just like Paul says, I watched myself change. I watched the mystery being revealed every day as I got to know him better. He became nearer and nearer, more real and more real to me in a true relationship that I just couldn't sit on. I had to pass it on. In the questions, I sure, I certainly hope, I mean, they're, they're not astounding questions, but when I was doing the questions, I, I it just kind of gets me thinking within the passage. And I had you go back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and it was the story of that sinful woman. It's probably the story that I talk about the most when I have to speak somewhere. It seems like I always bring this up because I think it's such a beautiful story. You've got both sides. You've got, I mean, you've got the really the full picture. You, you've got the story about the, the Pharisees, you know, the people who think that they're fine and, and they're, they've made a place on this earth. They, they're somebody. People know who they are. They're, they're, in, they're intellectual. They're, they're educated. They're prominent. Social status. All the things that when you measure by world standards, they have. And so they're feeling quite comfortable and, and kind of, they feel kind of good about themselves. And how Jesus comes on the scene and, and, you know, they just gave him so much trouble. And on this particular night, they invited Jesus to come for dinner. And you can, you can know that the only people at that, at that party, at that gathering, were people that were invited, that they were one kind and they invited Jesus to come. They probably wanted to pick his brain. Maybe they wanted to, maybe they wanted to cause more trouble. I don't know. But in that story, there is a woman that we don't know her name. We only know her as the sinful woman. 
Now, the reason why this came to my mind is because of what Paul said. He said, I am less than the least of all God's people. Now, this woman, we don't know what she's done. We can about imagine, but she is known by everybody as a sinful woman. Now, she has heard that there is someone going around, and his name is Jesus, and he is forgiving people of their sins. I think she has about had it with herself. The guilt is just over, overwhelming. And she wants to find out if this could possibly be true. And so she finds out that Jesus is not on a hill with 5,000 people. She finds out on this particular day, he is at the home of Simon the Pharisee, and she has not been given an invite. Oh, not her kind. No, the least of all. The least of all God's people. She knew that's what she was. And that's the way everybody looked at her. And yet she, I think this is why I just love that story. Because she did not think about others. She only thought about herself here. And she didn't, uh, this tunnel vision, she didn't say, well, tomorrow I'll see where he is because I can't possibly go and see him now. I can't possibly get in there. She's determined. She has heard something that she wants. And so she is determined, and I am sure that that is what got her in the door. I know that God's plan, this was all pre-planned, but it took her, it took her on her part to do what she could do, and that is walk up to the door and go in. She did her part. We know that Jesus was going to be doing his and this. He, Jesus knew she was coming, but she had to make the choice to go. And she walked in that door, and I am sure that there were gasps when she walked in. How could someone, the least of all God's people, come walking in the door to this house with this particular group of people? The only reason I believe that she continued on is because she didn't look from side to side. She didn't look, she didn't look at everybody jabbing each other, thinking, how can we get her out of here? She kept her eyes fixed on Jesus. And she walked up to him and went behind him. That's how she knew she was the least of all people. She walked behind him and she poured this perfume out. And she wiped it with her hair. What an offering And the owner of that home, Simon the Pharisee, I, I appreciate this in the story, and I'm so glad Luke didn't, didn't, when whoever was telling him the story, did not leave out this detail, because the owner of this home was thinking to himself. It wasn't even something he said out loud, and yet Jesus knew what he was thinking. He knew that that Simon was thinking, if he were really a prophet like he says he is. He would know what kind of woman this is and we would get her out of here. 
Jesus walks up to Simon and says to him, Simon, there was two men that needed money desperately. And there was a man who graciously loaned both of them $150, another $500. I'm just using different, different um, denominations so that you can tell the difference between dollars and denarii. I'm just saying $50 versus $500. You'll get the principle. You'll get the point. Well, when the day came for them to both pay it back, neither one of them could. And the owner, the, the man who loaned him the money, said to them, I will take on your, your loan. You, you don't have to pay it back. I'll pay it. Then Jesus said to Simon, which one do you think was most grateful? And Simon said, well, of course the one who owed him 500 versus the 50. And then Jesus went on to say, you know, when I came in, no one, no one washed my feet, no one, no one did anything for me, but this woman she humbly came and she, she washed my feet with this perfume and she, and she wiped it with her tears and with her hair. He looked at Simon and said, you know, the one who knows how much they need to be forgiven, they're the ones that are going to love me the most. But those who don't think that they, they don't see themselves for what they truly are, they'll never appreciate the sacrifice, the love that was given. And you know, that story, I just because I love it so much, I, I think, how come in, the, in this story, how come we don't know her name? And I think it's because that's where your name goes. That's where my name goes. I know Paul would say, that's where my name goes. Because Paul admits it right here. I am the least of all God's people. Every one of us must come to that realization that in and of ourselves, we are nothing. We are the least of God's people. Without Jesus, you and I are nothing. It was only after Paul accepted Christ and he let the Holy Spirit change him into Jesus' character do we start seeing Paul realize what life is really all about and to see that because of grace and mercy, that's why he uses those words so much, it was grace and mercy that transformed him. So when he writes this, Although I am the I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. All through the Old Testament, it just seemed like a mystery. 
And then once Jesus came, and once the gospel story started to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to all of the Gentiles. Then people started to understand. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be known, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That that was kind of a, maybe, maybe I used to just always go fast through that part. I, maybe I, but this time I didn't. I, I wanted to make sure I understood. His intent was that now through the church, that is us, the body of Christ, his family, the church, you and I, he wants to use you and I the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We have a job to do. God doesn't use his angels to reveal his wisdom to us. He doesn't use his angels. In fact, that verse, all of a sudden, lights came on. He says, I want you I want you to reveal my wisdom through you to them. The angels, they're, they're spiritual, they're, they're beings, and they have their jobs to do. But all, in that verse, Paul is saying their job is not to reveal God's wisdom to us. No, it is our job for them to see us because they do know us. He puts angels in charge of us, but, and so they know us. They know what we were once. And Paul is saying, now we are, as Christ is changing us, as the mystery is being revealed, and, and, and we, are, we are now hearing by his spirit the wisdom, this, the wisdom that's changing us. Now the angels are watching. I'm sure there are angels that are saying, I never expected that from him. He was, he was, such, a, he was such a problem. And now look, look what salvation has done for him. Look what the Holy Spirit is doing through his life. Look the change in him. Paul is saying, reveal to the heavenly beings what Jesus can do through you. In fact, what an opportunity for you and I. To me, it was such a revelation. But that our salvation, yes, it's for us, but it's for us also to teach the whole universe. To let them watch what salvation can do for sinful human beings. How, how salvation and God's spirit can change our lives. Oh, I just, I thought that was such an exciting revelation. He says, 
he goes on to say his intent was that now through the church we are now to be made known that God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, he intended for that. That's the way he intended that we would accept his salvation and then we would teach the heavenly realms. We would make known, we could show them how truly life-changing salvation is in him, verse 12, in him and through faith in him. Now, this word faith comes in, Paul uses that word because he knows with that faith, that faith is so important because you and I, we haven't actually seen Jesus. We did not see him die on the cross. We didn't see him come out of the grave. We didn't see him ascend into heaven. By faith, we believe. We believe that the cross worked. We believe that God's word is true, every word of it. We believe that his spirit is working in us. And when we look in the mirror, we see a day-by-day transformation. As we see the old self become less and less. We watch this mystery be revealed. How could he make me from what I was to what I am and what I'm going to eventually even turn out to be? This is... This is in his intent. It, it's through faith, believing without actually seeing it. We just choose to believe. Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about that. Faith is being certain. You don't even have to see it. You choose to believe it. I've said this before too, because I, I get asked, well, how do you know? How do you know for sure? How do you know that the cross worked? That the sacrifice was accepted? And how do you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? <laughs> you know, how do you know that the Bible is true, every word of it? You say it all the time. How do you, how do you know You know, and there are many reasons. I mean, one is that you read the Old Testament, you find that every prophecy was revealed to the letter. But I like answering it in such a personal way when people ask me, how do you know it's true? And I'll just say, because I look in the mirror. Because I know what I used to be. I know the way I used to think. I know that it was all about me achieving what my plans were. And it didn't happen in 20 minutes, but as, I, as the mystery is being revealed to me, as the word of God is, is changing my life, I, I stand in awe. There is nothing or no one that could have changed me this much. I'm sure that's what Paul is saying. And when you experience Jesus, you yourself can say the same thing. I know it's true because I, I know what he's done. I know what he's done for me. 
And I know he's not done yet. In him through faith, I choose to believe it. And I'm watching it work. I'm watching the Holy Spirit's work. Work. How'd you like that one? I'm watching the Holy Spirit do his job in my life, and it's working. By faith, I chose to believe it. And now I'm watching the Holy Spirit's work work. In him, through faith in him, we may go, we may approach, we may approach God. When was the last time you thought about that? That you can actually approach the throne of God. That our spirit and his spirit connect and he welcomes us. He tells us to come with confidence and with boldness. We can, not because of what we have done, but what Christ has done in us. So I read again, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We've been set free. Paul's actually a prisoner, so it's kind of ironic, but he's talking about freedom even though he is under house arrest. He is talking about the freedom that he's been given in Christ, and that is the best kind of freedom when your soul has been set free. And you can sing it as well with my soul. When you know yourself, that's mystery revealed to think of God's grace and mercy can change you and I that much. And we can approach God with freedom and with confidence there's a song that we've sung so many times. I, I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I've been, because of Jesus, I've been set free from the guilt of my past. I've traded all my heavy, guilty shackles for this glorious freedom song. I'm free. Praise the Lord, free at last. You can sing that in the middle of a jail cell behind locked bars. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison in your home, in your circumstances. You don't see a way out. Humanly possible, you don't see a way out. But I'm here to tell you what Paul is saying. You can approach God's throne with freedom and with confidence. And watch him work in your life. That's why he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. How It's so easy, isn't it, in life circumstances to get discouraged? Now remember, Paul is not sitting in the Ritz, Carlton. He is sitting here writing this letter with guards 
And he is talking about this freedom. And he's saying to you, he's saying to me, and he's even probably saying it to himself, there is no reason for you and I to get discouraged, even in our circumstances. But he goes on to say, I don't want you discouraged. And now he makes it specific. I don't want you discouraged because you're going to have, after all I've told you now, and you know I'm in prison because, because I want to make sure you heard the story. So now I'm paying the price. And you're probably thinking, it's our fault. He said, I don't want you discouraged ever. But I certainly don't want you discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul is reminding them, if I hadn't done that, you'd still be lost. You wouldn't have heard the gospel story. You'd still be living in the middle of the mystery. And you would not have the hope. But because you've heard the story, you've heard the gospel, you chose to believe it, you've been filled with God's spirit, you know that the promises, you will experience all the glory. We might suffer down here. Such a life lesson. We can get so caught up in our sufferings here. Paul writes to the people of Corinth, believe it or not, Someday when you get to glory and you experience glory, you're going to look back on your life and you're going to say, and that's all I had to go through to get all this. It will get put into perspective. Paul's saying, don't feel sorry for me. Don't blame yourself. It's because of this story, because I knew once you heard this story and you chose to believe, together we will all experience God's glory. It will be worth it all. For this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. See, another humbling choice of words here. Whether he actually was on his knees, I don't know, or whether he was, he was putting himself again in that position we should never put ourselves on the position of God. And sometimes, I know that sounds terrible, but sometimes we do when we think we know better than he does. And we're not willing to say your will be done. Believe me, we are not kneeling before the Father when we think we know better. And when we're afraid to say your will be done. When our lives are still all about us instead of him. You are not kneeling before the Father. But Paul understands that. He knows, he knows, that's why remember from what you came from. Remember what the Father did. He sent his son. And Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fun. 
cleansed by his blood, join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm a part of the family, the family of God. Because of Jesus, we now can carry his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, Paul says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, which that's a big amount, out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you. In other words, he says, out of his glorious riches, which have no limit, so he'll never run out. So you can always count on it. I pray that out of his glorious riches, you can always feel and experience his strength because he will strengthen you with power. Power. His power working in us when our mind is saying, you can't handle it. You, you're not going to make it through this. This is going to be horrible. I think I'm just going to put the covers over my head. I don't see any hope in this. Another old song. I don't know why these old songs kept coming to my mind. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. To know that, yes, you and I, in our own strength, were weak, believe it or not. And that's why Paul says, I'm praying that out of his unlimited riches, he will just keep strengthening you. You are weak in and of yourself, but his strength will give you power. His spirit will give you power to go on, to put the next foot forward, to get you back going with hope. He says, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Do you know that your inner being is as real as your physical? I know the physical is what everybody sees, but what we see ourselves. And I think we're all, I think we can all be honest and say that we spend so much time and money and effort working on the physical. Because we know that it's real. We see it every day. But we also know, like my 92-year-old mother, no matter what you do, this earthly body is not lasting. And so why in the world aren't we working, I, I say, harder? Time, effort, whatever it takes, working on the inner, our inner being. Because it's that inner being where the Holy Spirit dwells, where the Holy Spirit can, com can communicate to us, where the Holy Spirit can lead us on the right path and give us the hope and keep us from getting discouraged and keep our eyes looking toward glory. 
and to even experience it here because we know that no one or not a circumstance can take what God has done to our inner being. No one can take that away. What Jesus has done for our inner being, no one can take that away. But the thing is, we've got to keep working at it. We've got to keep working at realizing that that inner being's got to keep maturing and growing and changing so we can fulfill his purpose in us. We can call ourselves servants of the Lord Jesus, willing to be used however and wherever he calls us. And then he goes on to say, I mean, he says, I, I just, I'm going to keep praying. I pray, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, I think Paul is getting more excited as he's writing this letter. I don't know what kind of physical state he's in, but I know he's experiencing in his inner being a real strengthening power as he's stating this truth. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, What a wonderful choice of words. King James calls it grounded. And I pray that you will be grounded, that you'll be rooted and established in love. And we're not just talking about that surface, emotional, feeling kind of love. We're talking about grounded in Jesus' love. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And that unconditional love of grace and mercy. He says, I want you grounded and established in that love. That everything of you comes from that love. Because that's where you're rooted and grounded and established then out of you comes that enormous truth. God loves me. Hmm. May I, that you may have power together with all the saints. See, he's saying the more grounded, the more established, the more rooted you are, and yes, Jesus loves me. the more power that will be working through all of us. And that is what will unify that we may have power together with all the saints. If we were all working together in one accord, can you imagine what we could do? But together, he says, I want all of you who are studying right now. Let's not just, let's not even think about everyone. Just, just you, you and I, we're studying together. He says, you're studying these words and I want you to grasp. 
I want you, maybe you've heard these words before, but now that's in the continuity of Ephesians 1, 2, and now 3. None of this would be possible if it wasn't for his great love. And if you are rooted and established and grounded in that love, you're going to experience power. You are not going to get discouraged and down and defeated. You're going to carry on and move forward despite the, the circumstances. Maybe not physically, but your inner being. Maybe you're bedridden, and yet your inner being can be strong, strong enough to run a marathon. When you grasp, when you grasp, and then he uses these beautiful, this beautiful language, you grasp how wide and long and high and deep is that love. I want you to grasp. I know that knowledge is important, and I want you to keep getting to know me. But he says, to know this kind of love, that even surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And when you're full with the goodness of God, there's no room for self. And you watch the transforming power change you. Think, Paul. I remember when I studied this before, I kind of looked at those, those four words. And he uses how wide, how wide his love is. Because then that encompasses, that includes all people. The length, the length of his love, how long. It's going to last for all eternity. He's never going to run out. So it's wide because it encompasses everybody. It's long because... It's never going to run, run out for all eternity. It's deep. His love is so deep because so often we think that, well, maybe I've, I've sinned too much or maybe I can't possibly forgive what I've done. Or I think Paul says his love is so deep it just brings in the worst of sinners. And, Paul, and I think Paul's saying, I get that because that was me. And I hope you will get that. I hope I get that, that his love is so deep because it included me. And the height, the height of his love. When you look up, when you think of height, just think his love is so deep and so wide and so long. And so high that it's going to take you and I all the way from here to there. Isn't that a thought? Paul said, I pray that you grasp that. That you're filled with that. 
Now to him who is able. That means he can do it. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You know, a lot of times we, we like that verse and that's where we cut it off. That we know that he's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. But it's not the end of that verse. Paul says, I want you to know that that kind of immeasurable, immeasurable work, that kind of power is in you. So when he says, and I'm going to read this in its entirety. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Just think. It's endless what he could do through you and I. Oh, we think, oh, we don't have any talents we can't possibly do. Paul said, would you get over that? That's right, you can't do anything. But I've been praying for that power, that the Holy Spirit, that you will release that power in you and you realize it is far more working in you than you could ever imagine or think. So when you think, I can't do that, I want the Holy Spirit to bring you back to this verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what you and I could ever imagine or think in our own strength and power. But his power is at work in us. Chad helped me to see, our son Chad helped me to see Sunday. I listened to his sermon. And he was talking Sunday morning. He brought, he brought me back to our study when we we're talking about Stephen and the deacons and, and then after Stephen was stoned and it caused the church to, the persecuted church to then spread. And it said that Philip and Peter and John were in Samaria. And then Philip this because they were all filled with God's spirit. They were listening to his voice. They were willing to go where he wanted them to go and be what he wanted them to be and trusted that God would work his power immeasurably through them, even as inadequate as maybe they felt themselves. By faith, they believed it. So when the Holy Spirit called Philip to leave Peter and John, and go down a desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza, a road less traveled, probably dangerous. It just was so unlikely. I'm sure he was having a great time with Peter and John to be called out and who does he, who, what happens? There's a, there's a chariot. The Holy Spirit told them to go to that chariot. And it said he ran to the chariot. 
And inside that chariot was the Ethiopian eunuch. I, I love this part when Chad says, do you think when Philip woke up that morning, he says, oh, today I'm going to meet a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch in it. None of us knows what the day is going to bring, but by the power of God's spirit, Philip was obedient that day. And then he saw that the eunuch was reading Isaiah in chapter 53. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, no, I, how, can I, how can I know unless someone explains it to me? You know, you talk about one surprise teaching another surprise. I mean, you know, neither one was expecting this that day, and yet look what extraordinary power was being used on this Gaza road. It's just so beautiful to think that Philip was willing. And Philip is a, is a Greek name. He, Philip was a Jew. And back, you know, when they needed to pick the deacons, it was because the Hebrew Jews women and the Grecian Jews women were having some problems with the food distribution. One wasn't getting enough Philip is a Greek name, so he was probably a part of the Grecian Jews. But what is the Ethiopian? He's a Gentile. Paul would probably, Paul is, I think, trying to, to communicate to us through this story that God knows who to use when and where. Why didn't he call Peter to do it? Why didn't he call John to do it? Why did he call Philip? Because maybe Philip understood more. He, would, he maybe had more of a way. Maybe his personality or, or his simpleness or whatever. Whatever the reason. God knows us so. I mean, I just look at my one son, and then my second son, and then me, just the three of us, we're all, all in ministry, and the three of us couldn't be more different. And yet our destination is the same place. How Jason is able to minister in his way, how Chad is able to minister in his way, and how I'm able to minister in my way, because he's given us all different ways of doing it, but it's all for God's kingdom. Paul's saying, just realize that he is able to do immeasurably more through you and I than we can even imagine because he has put within us personalities, gifts and abilities, a power. And what unifies us all, even though we're all different, is that because it's all for the name of Jesus. Because we are grasping how deep, how long, how wide, 
how high his love is for sinful mankind. Damn be glory. Damn be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Are you praising him right now? If you aren't, why not? And if you are, I'll tell you, he deserves every bit of it. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. <laughs>